This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle, and this is the week of December 12th, 2022. And uh, before we get into this week's games, let's check in. Emily, how are you doing? I am surviving. It's a busy time. All good things. (laughs) It is a busy time. Yes, it is a busy time to be a clergy person. It is a busy time to be a parent. It's a busy time to be a clergy person who is also a parent. But, you know, we're not the only ones who get slammed around the holiday season. But, you know, making my way through, I made eggnog snickerdoodles a couple of days ago and they are incredible they are so good eggnog snickerdoodles yes they contain no eggnog they contain only eggnog ingredients but they taste exactly like eggnog because they contain eggnog ingredients it's like extra egg yolks and rum extract okay and then you roll them in like a combination of nutmeg and granulated sugar before you bake them and they're great that does sound great Yeah, it's a recipe I found on the New York Times cooking app, if anyone is looking to add a Christmas cookie to their repertoire. How are you doing? Uh, I am likewise slammed. Well, actually, Mm -hmm. at this point, as of this recording, I'm now on winter break. Congratulations. Thanks. I'm not relaxed yet, though. Because it just—I don't get to prepare for break. Like I don't—I don't get to ease into it because I had mm-hmm. three performances this week, and then I had to like make up with like okay, grades are due. You know, you have to do finals. Have to like take care of everything else that every teacher is doing, in addition to the fact that I'm doing all of these performances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and then. It's like, hey, you have one workday to get everything in order for next semester, and then you have to leave. <laughs> so, like, mm-hmm. I, I'm always like one of the last people in the building, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. on a workday. Other teachers are like, oh, I got my grades done by nine. I'm going to chat with people. We'll have some snacks. We'll have our party. And I'm just like running around getting things done. And like, I don't blame them. It's not, I'm not mm-hmm. like, how, how dare you not have anything to do? It's, it's like, it's just, my situation is very different yes. and I'm just like, cool. Yeah. Cool guys have fun. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would join you if I could, but I truly can't. I'm going to run out of time. I still have stuff on my list, Yep. but that's the way it goes. I chose this job. So that's, that's fine. But still. Yeah. Bless you for all you are doing. Thank you. Anyway, even when things are busy though, there is jeopardy that happens. And uh, we are here to talk about it. So let's jump into it. Uh, On Monday, December 12th, we have the contestants, Chris Ann Bonifacio, a website manager from Raleigh, North Carolina. Sean McShane, a nonprofit membership associate originally from West Islip, New York. And Matthew Ott, an accountant originally from Boston, Massachusetts, whose one-day cash winnings total $23,197. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, Ben Franklin. True Grime, With a Song in Your Brain, Lost for Words, Outbreaks, 
and the movie's title in other countries, which had some controversy. Yes, it did. Specifically, the Jeopardy writers and fact checkers somehow got conned (laughs) by a joke. (laughs) So at the $1,000 level of the movie's title in other countries, uh, the clue was Japan got right down to it for a Nevada set film, I'm Drunk and You're a Prostitute. And Matthew tried what is fear and loathing in Las Vegas. That is incorrect. Sean, I guess they're both incorrect. Uh, (laughs) Sean got the answer they intended with leaving Las Vegas. Here's the thing. This was a joke, which appeared, I think it was published as a joke, but then was quoted in a Washington Post article. But then there was a correction to the article published, but too late. Other places had picked up the article. Yeah. So there, there's been some stuff circulating about this on social media from the person who wrote the the joke title. Yeah, and this this one got past them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, uh, I mean, I guess there's got to be one at some point. Yeah. But I feel like if you're going to do this kind of category, you just go straight to the source. Yeah. W- wouldn't you probably just connect with the you know publishing company or the production company to be like, hey... This film that your company produced, what was its title in Japan? Yeah, you would hope. Yeah. It seems like that one. It it seems like an, a weird mistake to have made. Yes. Because yeah, there are other mistakes that you can make. I bad. get like I get how the question got written, because if you've decided to write a movie's title in other countries category and you're searching around for interesting ones. Mm-hmm. And there is this, you know, misinformation out there. It would be easy to find the misinformation. Right. You would probably look for interesting ones somehow, um, mm. but it should have gotten caught in fact checking. Yeah. Ben Franklin's sh- throwing shade at my college. It's fine. I don't like him oh. anyway. <laughs> hmm. Where did, where did you? <laughs> Nowhere. There's <laughs> a little school near Boston. Yeah, but at the $200 level of Ben Franklin in his native Boston, Ben wrote that the kids of status-seeking parents come out of this college as blockheads. Sean got it correct. It's Harvard. Yeah, but we don't need to worry about the syphilitic ramblings of that old man. Yeah. I mean, he flew a kite in a lightning storm. How much can you really trust? (laughs) Come on. Daily Double number one is at the $800 level of With a Song in Your Brain, and Matthew finds it as the eighth pick. He makes it a true daily double with 1400 to try and take the lead, and his clue is the pleasing combination of simultaneously sounded notes. It was composer Arnold Schoenberg's last word. And Matthew gets it correct. It is harmony. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Matthew's at 3,400. Sean is in the lead with 8,600. Chris Ann has 2,600. And the double Jeopardy categories are 19th century literature, Chicago TV, why you in quotation marks with a hyphen in between them. They'll occur consecutively in each correct response. No good, low down, and so and so, uh, but spelled S E W. Uh, the $400 clue of no good was was special to me. The Chicago man's operation had $100 million in annual, annual revenue in the 2020s. In 2020s, instead of 1920s dollars, that's about $1.8 billion. Al Capone was, I 
believe might have been the first correct response I gave on Jeopardy. Mm, it was yeah. one of it was mm-hmm. one of the first first correct. So I yeah, feel pretty good about it. Mm-hmm. Nice. I saw some pushback in the 19th century literature at the $1,200 level. This oldest member of the Three Musketeers in Dumas' novel is revealed to be the Comte de la Fer, uh, and that's Athos. Mm-hmm. I've never read, you know, the the actual Three Musketeers. I read the, you know, the kids' version. Yeah. There's no way I was going to remember that. That feels like a pretty deep pull. Yeah. Although, like, I mean, it is a story point that that one is, you know, a count. But just remembering who's the oldest is kind of like, okay. Honestly, I, I cannot be bothered most of the time to remember the three, the, all, the names of all three musketeers. Like, I can pull one of them at a time. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, maybe Athos, two. Porthos, and Aramis. Yeah. Yes. And D'Artagnan is the mm-hmm. other one. The only reason I really know that is because Tim Curry is amazing in the movie. I have not seen yes, Cardinal the Richelieu. movie. Mm, you should. Okay. If only for that. Actually, I mean, I only watched it as a kid. I don't know if it's actually any good. I, I liked it when I was a kid. Mm. But there are lots of things I liked when I was a kid that now I'm like, ugh. <laughs> Which is good. That means I have matured at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Daily Double number two is just below that. Uh, Three Musketeers one in the 19th century literature category. $1,600 pick number four. Uh, Chris Ann finds it. She's at 4600 real close to Matthew's 5000 and Sean's at 8600 She bets it all, which I really like. Mm-hmm. And gets to clue, this English woman wrote 1823's Valperga. Her first novel also had a one-word title, but is more famous. And she didn't offer a guess, but that is Mary Shelley. Mm-hmm. I did not actually know this. Oh, I, yeah, I have no idea what else Shelley wrote other than Frankenstein. Yeah. But now we do. Valperga. Now we know. And Daily Double number three is in the low down category at the $1,200 level. And Sean finds it at the 12th pick, which means that each contestant has found one Daily Double, which I like when that happens. Um, mm-hmm. He is in a big lead. Uh, and wagers 3,000 of his 14,600. He gets the clue. The lower 48 refers to U.S. states that are this, a 10-letter word, meaning in contact. And he gets it correct. It's contiguous. Mm-hmm. So at the end of Double Jeopardy, uh, Sean has gotten himself into a lock position at 23,600. Matthew's at 9,400. Chris Ann is at 4,000. Final Jeopardy category is Latin phrases, and the clue, originally this three-word phrase referred to when a doctor or apothecary substituted one medicine for another. This ended up being a triple stumper. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Ann guessed what is vis-a-vis, which I think is French, isn't That's it? French, yeah. Rather than, well, but it's, it's a guess, um, and wagered everything that's incorrect. Matthew wrote what is placebo, which is interesting. Um, that's not three words, but sure. Uh, mm-hmm. and that's, and, and he wagered nothing. Uh, and Sean didn't offer a guess, wagered 3000, dropped to 20,600, but that is quid pro quo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which I did not know that that was the original source of the phrase and it has kind of a different connotation, right? Yeah. Uh, nowadays it's not so good. I guess, I guess that's more of a neutral term, like yeah. in the medicine sense, but now it's, Typically not a positive thing. Yeah. Usually either underhanded or Mm -hmm. manipulative or, you know. Yeah. We're like, you know, when something is made transactional, that Mm. is not supposed to be, right? Right. Uh, I Googled the etymology of placebo because 
I was like, hey, well, what what is that? You know, what uh and it is from the Latin and means something along the lines of I shall please. Hmm. Um yeah. I bet it has the same root word as like to placate, but I don't know. Hmm. So that brings us to Tuesday. Uh, the contestants are Ellen McRae, a realtor from Falls Church, Virginia, Brett Meyer, a writer from Los Angeles, California, and Sean McShane, a nonprofit membership associate originally from West Islip, New York, whose one-day cash winnings total $20,600. And the Jeopardy round categories are Four Funerals and Another Funeral, Sounds, Place O, uh, O in quotation marks, all responses end with the letter O, two-syllable words, playing Santa, and food as you might say it. That was fun and kind of gross. Yeah. <laughs> there was something about that category that I was like, ooh. Yeah. Like, like a, I don't know. I don't necessarily think about a sloppy Joe. I don't think about those words, but calling it the untidy Jose made me like, ooh. Plus, what, what's up with starting the clue with it's got buns hun yeah because you like, put it on buns right but like i mean someone wanted to make a, a like just a a, just joke. just get a yeah. get a mix a lot reference in there <laughs> just I, I guess i don't know what it has to do with sloppy joe <laughs> i was like well untidy jose seems like sloppy joe's but like i've got to figure out what this has to do with sir mix a lot before mm-hmm. i commit to my answer that that category was oddly unsettling. You're right. Yeah, there was just something about it. Don't think about the name of food mm-hmm. that much. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, the two thousand dollar clue of the funerals category on March 29th, eighteen twenty seven. Twenty thousand attended the funeral of this German composer. Franz Schubert was a torchbearer. Uh, that's Beethoven. Sean got that, and uh, in fact, Schubert was already very sick. Mm. And he died just about a year later, a little over a year later. And one of his last requests was that he be buried next to Beethoven. And hmm. that was granted. Wow. And he was, hmm. yeah, it's yeah. just, it's nice. I like yeah. that story when I get to teach it in my music history class, because that's just nice. Whereas so many other stories are like, yeah. And then it turns out this guy was just like a really bad dude. And we really don't, celebrate him we just celebrate his music but mm-hmm. like yeah but that's just like yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's nice it was weird realizing that elf came out almost 20 years ago now yeah don't spend time with that thought i it still feels to me like one of the newer christmas movies <laughs> it is and anybody who says otherwise is just wrong unlike that great classic the muppet christmas carol which came out ages ago Mm-hmm. About what, like seven or eight years before Elf? Right, like yeah, yeah. Maybe it's maybe thirty years at this point. Yeah, that's really weird. Don't put it that way. Mm-hmm. I yep. don't like that. I don't like that at all. Why would you do this to me? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, oh, oh! Actually, they came out further apart than I thought. Muppet Christmas Carol came out thirty years ago now. Okay, okay. Still, mm-hmm. Muppet Christmas Carol is a storied film, and Elf mm-hmm. is recent. And we'll leave it at that. And no one yeah. will argue. Mm-hmm. You whippersnappers. 
All right, uh, Daily Double number one is in the place O category at the $600 level. Pick number eight, and Ellen finds it. She's at $1,400. Sean's at $2,200. Brett's at zero. She bets it all. Gets the clue. Only Greenland and New Guinea are larger islands in size than this one in the Pacific. And she guesses, what is Oahu? Um, she might have been thinking the O should be at the front. Oh, yeah, I rather bet. Rather than at the end. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's Borneo. Borneo is the third biggest island. Yeah. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Sean's at 7,400, Brett's at 4,000, and Ellen is back to 1,400. We have the Double Jeopardy categories, Spanish Art and Artists, City Speak, Oil Things Considered, You Get Letters, Chemistry, and That's Some of What She Wrote. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Which, oddly, and that's some of what she wrote, the very first clue we get is about a writer who published a grand total of two novels. Right. Specifically Harper Lee. Did she write, did she write anything else that got published? I don't like, I, I don't know. I, my understanding is she was kind of like a person who was around. Yeah. But her complete resume, like her complete, like bibliography, her complete. Yes. There we go. Bibliography. That's the word I'm looking for is the two books. And then five, articles okay yes hey good for her i guess the two novels and the one article that they mentioned are some of what she wrote in the in that in her lifetime she published four other articles right yeah hello i mean are we really sure she wrote to kill a mockingbird though isn't there isn't there some commentary that perhaps it was oh is there i don't i don't know i haven't looked into it i just remember at some point hearing like some some hubbub about maybe it was actually Truman Capote. Oh, that's, a, that's, an, that's an interesting theory. I have, I have certainly heard controversy about whether Go Set a Watchman was truly published with her consent and whether mm. she was of sound mind to give that consent yeah. at the time that it was published. I haven't encountered speculation about Truman Capote writing To Kill a Mockingbird, but it doesn't surprise me to hear that it exists. Mm -hmm. Anyway, when I saw the category, that's some of what she wrote. I was expecting female writers with extensive bibliographies, and it was just sort of funny to see somebody who is famous for writing very few books to lead off the category. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Daily Double number two is in the chemistry category at the $1,600 level, and Sean finds it at the 24th pick. He wagers 3000 and he gets the clue Orpiment. Formula AS2S3 was a longtime aid to painters as a yellow pigment, but not now due to this, the AS. And Sean got that one correct. It is arsenic. Mm-hmm. Orpiment came up in my video game. Uh, a little bit. Uh, it's, it's one of the minerals in Stardew Valley that you can find inside the geodes as you're trying to collect all the various minerals and gemstones and artifacts and things. Hmm, did you get arsenic poisoning? I did not get arsenic poisoning. No, mm. I just donated that to the museum and went on with my life. As we all do with the various ores that we come across in our day-to-day. <laughs> it's very realistic. Realistic video game. Mm-hmm. I saw Orphament and I was like, ooh, it's going to be my first time getting something correct because I learned something in a video game. And then I was like, I know literally nothing about Orphament and I already knew that AS was the symbol for arsenic, but close. But I, I'm still connecting it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, Daily Double number three is in Spanish Art and Artists at the $1,200 level. Sean finds it at pick number 25. He's out to a pretty big lead at this point. Um, he's at 22,800. Oh, it's back to back. Oh my gosh. I didn't oh, yeah. even realize. Oh, it's back to back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Yay. he's up to 22,800. Brett and Ellen are at the scores they were just at. And he wagers another 3,000. Uh, gets a clue. In the 1570s, this immigrant from Crete painted the disrobing of Christ for the Cathedral of Toledo, Spain. And he gets cracked with who is El Greco. You don't need to know anything about the painting. If it's Toledo, it's going to be El Greco. Or mm-hmm. if it's like immigrant from Greece, it's going to be El Greco. Yeah. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Sean has a lock game with 28,600. Uh, Brett's at 11,200. Ellen's at 4,600. Oh, so we're double locked here. And the final Jeopardy category is 19th century Americans. And the clue is demonstrating the dignity and humanity of black Americans. He sat for 160 known photographs, the most of any American in the 19th century. And they all got this correct. Uh, Ellen has who is Frederick Douglass. Uh, She's wagered 4,000, bringing her up to 8,600. Brett has who is Douglass uh, with a wager of 200. And Sean has who Frederick Douglass. He spelled Douglass with one S only, but that is fine. It just has to sound alike when you're in Final Jeopardy, because with rare exceptions, you don't have to be able to spell the answer in the regular rounds uh, to get credit. Mm -hmm. You just have to know how to say it. So um, he's wagered 4,000, which brings him up to 32,600 and gives him his second win. Yep. Uh, So on Wednesday, we have the contestants Molly Cowger, an assistant puzzles and games editor from San Francisco, California. Very cool. Dan Rosen. Yeah, very cool. Dan Rosen, an accounting clerk from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Sean McShane, a nonprofit membership associate from West Islip, New York. Two-day cash winnings total $53,200. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, historic names, animals in French, Hulu, Lights, Camera, Auction, The Proof, and In the Pudding. (laughs) Now, I'm just going to get out there and say it, and I know I will upset all of our British listeners. The $1,000 level. Laurie's, the prime rib restaurant, is famous for this British pudding that's a side, not a dessert. Sean got it. That's Yorkshire pudding. British people? What the hell does pudding mean? (laughs) Is it just whatever you want it to be? Mm Mm-hmm. What is pudding? Right. And if the proof's in it, how? If it can be whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Is every British person a postmodernist and they always have been? (laughs) Like (laughs) anything can be whatever you want it to be? How are we supposed to work with facts here? It's pudding relativism. I just... Look, I'm sure Yorkshire pudding is very tasty. When they make it on Great British Bake Off, I'm like, yeah, I would crush that. But Mm -hmm. why is it pudding? Right. Why do words not have meaning, British people? Mm-hmm. Okay, my rant is over. Yeah. I mean, it is bad enough. <laughs> it's bad enough <laughs> to use pudding as a general term for desserts of all kinds. But then there's mm-hmm. just all, some other things that are also pudding. And yep. no. <laughs> yeah. Yorkshire pudding's delicious, though. I'm sure it is. I mean, it looks great. But at some point, we have to draw a line and just call it something else. Yeah. It's like when my kid is like, Oh, but when I say this word, what I mean is blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, that's no, why we no. have words for that other thing. Yeah, words have meaning. 
and you can't get upset at me for thinking you meant the thing you actually said. So Mm -hmm. you hear me, British people? You're on notice. However, we did get a not controversial uh, question, food question actually over in the Lou category at the $800 level. Restaurateur Lou Malnati gave many people their first taste of this Windy City specialty. That's deep dish pizza. Molly got it. Mm-hmm. I know that there are especially people from, say, New York who like to think that Chicago deep dish doesn't count as pizza. I mean, if pizza were a casserole. <laughs> And how do you define pizza, Emily? What's That's a- <laughs> where? Where is the line pizza, here? I know. I mean, it's it's somewhere before you get to deep dish. And why you is that? Is there a- okay? Okay. No, 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 no. Is there a crust? There is there it. Is it made of dough? There must be a crust. Mm-hmm. There is a crust. Okay. Is yeah. there tomato-based sauce? Yes. Is it topped with cheese? Yes. I. I is it I mean, baked? I think- Yes. I, I Do think you cut it into slices? Where we're having a problem here is that I think that I am a structural purist. And if you need a fork, if it is not something that you can pick up with your hand, it's pizza-like. It's pizza-inspired. It's, it's pizza-adjacent. You know, now, it's it's good. I, li- I, I like a deep dish, I, I whatever will that is. Say, I will simply say I have eaten it by picking it up with my hand. All right, I I would I guess I would grant that that part- I don't know is that is there a threshold at which it's is there too a threshold thick? where is that what some you're saying? deep dish pizza is not pizza but other deep dish pizza is then where do you go with like huh. Detroit or Sicilian style where it's like oh. really thick bread? No objection. I mean, I oh, don't okay. I don't oh, prefer okay. it. So okay, so the bread can be thick, but it's when you get more of the good stuff in there that you don't think it counts. I don't buy it. I mean. Yeah, no, no, I'm standing by it. Look, just because Chicagoans figured out how to get their pizza not to get dragged <laughs> into the sewers by a rat. We will respect pizza rat on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I meant no disrespect. Anyway, this is where we get the most most social media engagement. It's is true. We argue it's about true. food things. <laughs> Uh, quick, everybody, take a position on Triscuits again. Don't. Just yeah, don't. no. <laughs> we can't have this argument again, Emily. Damn it. <laughs> uh, maybe I should take us to the Daily Double. Yeah, since we're yes. on the topic. Uh, the Daily Double is in the pudding uh, <laughs> at the $800 level. And Sean finds it at the 25th pick. He wagers 4000 of his 8600 Um, He's in a pretty good lead at this point he's going to drop down to a smaller lead but still a lead if he misses uh so that, i think that's what he was thinking here with this wager and his clue is this type of pudding is actually sausage but sanguinaccio dolce made with the same stuff is pudding pudding so again words don't have meaning mm-hmm. chicago deep dish is a pudding don't <laughs> yeah, you don't you dare don't you dare uh, Sean, Sean can't come up with it. He he tries what is black pudding, uh, but they were looking for blood pudding. Uh, uh, thin ice, Emily. <laughs> I was going to agree to disagree, but it, <laughs> then you you had to bring that in. Um, black pudding, I guess, is a type of blood pudding or a blood sausage. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, <laughs> I think it is, but it's 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 a particular kind. Yeah. yeah. Um, which means. 
that black pudding doesn't fit with the sanguinaccio dolce part of the clue. Yeah. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Sean's at 5,800, Dan is at 3,800, Molly's at 2,200. And the double Jeopardy categories are Capital City Rivers, Eight Letter Crossword Clues, Instrumental Past, the Nonfiction Section, the JCs, each correct response will be a person with the initials JC, uh, and 1982, a year in film. Mm-hmm. That instrumental past category was not as musically oriented as I wanted it to be. Yeah. In terms of like what you needed to know. You mm-hmm. really didn't have to know much, which again is fine because that's how a lot of Jeopardy categories are. It's like, it's it's about this thing, but you don't need to necessarily know this thing to be able to get there, mm-hmm. which makes it good. Like that's what makes the show enjoyable is that you can figure out most things. Yeah. But for me in particular, I was like, ooh, fun. And then and then it, it was more like about history than about actual instruments. Yeah. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Now, the JC category brought up a question for, for you. Okay. Would we say that Jesus's initials are JC? I mean, not really. Okay. Colloquially, sure. <laughs> but... No. <laughs> Be like like J O N or J O D H O D, right? Yeah, like, yeah, like J O N, I think it's probably probably the way to go. Probably okay. probably the way to go on this, okay. right? Like see the C part is a title uh mm. Mm. that is conferred upon him by his followers mostly after his death. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And resurrection, but you know. Okay. Uh Good, good to know. Good death to know. Death is the, the, the historically verifiable. The, right. The, <laughs> the one that fewer people argue about, I guess. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, did, did I immediately think Jesus Christ when I saw the JCs come out? <laughs> yes, I did. I did. Uh, and then I was like, no, Jeopardy would not. <laughs> they, they, just, they just go right for it. <laughs> they had a good range of, of JCs there. I didn't know James con oh i like i recognize his face mm. um and i would like i'm sh- i've seen him in things but i just didn't like i didn't know him by name yeah. um for whatever reason but yeah we had jimmy carter and julia child and jacques Cousteau all jacques Cousteau. sharing sharing a category i thought it was a, mm-hmm. it was a good one nice yeah uh daily double number two is in the instrumental pass category at the 1200 level pick number two Dan finds it. Uh, he's at 5,000. Sean's at 5,800. Molly's at 2,200. He wagers 3,000. It's a clue. James Reed, who played these during the Jacobite Rebellion, was hanged. The English viewed them as instruments of war, which I know I just gave British people a hard time, but I can actually get behind this. And uh, Dan got it correct. That's bagpipes. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the Jacobite was a largely Scottish rebellion. Mm-hmm. And Daily Double number three is at the $2,000 level of the nonfiction section. And Molly finds it at the 19th pick. She is way back in third place with 6,600 to Dan's 11,200 and Sean's 17,400. She wagers 1,500 and gets the clue. In Disappointment River, Brian Kastner retraces Sir Alexander Mackenzie's 1789 search for this waterway. Um, She kind of freezes and can't come up with it she tries what is the sticks they're looking for the northwest passage 
Uh, so she drops a little further back. Yep. So at the end of Double Jeopardy, Sean is at 23,000. Dan is at 13,600, which is within striking distance. And Molly's at 5,100. Uh, Final Jeopardy category is presidential facts, and the clue, only three presidents have married while in office. John Tyler was the first, and he was the last. Molly guessed who is William Henry Harrison, um, and wagered 900. Am I incorrect in remembering that William Henry Harrison was before John Tyler? Um, No, you're not incorrect. Okay. Yeah, he was immediately Uh, before John Tyler. Right. Because yeah. that's mm-hmm. how Tyler became president, right? Yes. Very yeah. hard to pinpoint. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the presidents before. The forgettable presidents the forgettable before, presidents before Lincoln. Right, because I forgot Fillmore because he's a <laughs> terrible person. Uh, Dan got it incorrect with who is Taylor. Uh, and that's and wagered 7,000. And Sean got it correct with who is Wilson. Mm-hmm. As in Woodrow Wilson. Yes. Uh, married his second wife, Edith, during his presidency. I had Grover Cleveland come to mind. Uh, Mm -hmm. He was the second. So that would not have been a correct Correct. response. But good to get, good to remember that because there are only three of them. Yes. Well, I remembered the wrong one. (laughs) Sure. Uh, But but I mean, you're, you're like, you're, (laughs) you remembered probably more than most people. That's true. It's true. I did. So on Thursday, we have the contestants Ray Lalonde, a scenic artist from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Allie Kalman-Wegner, a researcher from Broomfield, Colorado. And Sean McShane, a nonprofit membership associate originally from West Islip, New York, whose three-day cash winnings at this point total $80,401. And the Jeopardy round categories are Droning On Across America, Brief Lives, Dutch Treat, New Musical Supergroups, Giving You Some TLC. Uh, Each correct response will have all three of those letters in that order, but not necessarily together. And Tables, Ladders, and Chairs, which I guess is just just about Tables, Ladders, and Chairs. Yeah, but there's a there's like the TLC connection there. That's, that's sure, I guess. Fun. Yeah, I guess. And new musical supergroups. They're going to give a, a new band name that you're supposed to break apart into. What two bands have they combined? Yeah, and Ray, who is n- noticeably older than the other two contestants, got the thousand dollar level, which was massive. No more. That's massive attack and faith. No more, which are both not the most popular groups. Mm. But also, I just, I was shocked. I was surprised. Mm -hmm. Way to go, man. (laughs) Yeah. He also got bootylicious in the giving you some TLC category. Yes, he did. Yeah. I love those kinds of moments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like Sam in the Tournament of Champions getting Mm -hmm. Doja. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sam would be the case in point, I guess. Also in the TLC category at the $800 level, it's the birdie you bop in badminton. Um, That's called a shuttlecock, which somehow I've ended up in in several conversations about how that's kind of an awkward word, but it's a fun one to know for trivia. Mm -hmm. Why is it awkward? Oh, I I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to have to go back and ask one of the other people. 
that would be that would be good for, you know, yeah. let us know mm-hmm. yeah well we'll circle back on that in the droning on across america uh the 800 dollars clue was um we wish you slots of luck as we take a trip into and over this biggest little city in the world sean got it that's reno uh i don't know reno has a a, a place in my heart I've, hmm. had, I've had family who lived in Reno or near Reno, and I guess I lived there, lived near there for a little bit. It's just a, it's a nice town. I yeah. shouldn't say town. It is a city at this point, especially mm-hmm. more recently it has expanded, but yeah. Reno's a nice place if you want to go and if you want to go and get kind of the uh, Nevada experience without having to dive into Las Vegas mm. and feel just utterly gross all the time. Yeah. Anyway, I have had no Nevada experience, hmm. so maybe someday. It's, it's worth doing, I think. Yeah. Daily double number one is in the brief lives category at the six hundred dollar level. Pick number ten, Ray finds it. He's at sixteen hundred. Sean's at six hundred. Ellie's at two thousand. He bets it all and gets the clue. Stole into existence in nineteen ten. She was the first half of a noted couple. Got lead poisoning via police in nineteen thirty four. And he gets correct with who is Bonnie Parker. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Sean is at 7,800. Allie's at 2,600. Ray is at 6,600. And the double Jeopardy categories are, here's the play of the day. A short category. History in art. Another name for that condition. Asian Americans. And the name as a past tense verb. I like seeing the contestants kind of grown as they understood how, like, how the hint had been given at the $1,200 level of here's the play of the day. It was a triple stumper. Uh, mm-hmm. Allison Jenny, we saw in this play, was in the hours with Meryl Streep, who was in the River Wild with Kevin Bacon. Uh, and nobody hazarded a guess. Six Degrees of Separation is the play. Yes. Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon is, is a joking yeah. reference to the play. Right. Um, yeah. Everyone was trying to figure out what play had a character named Wisa who had been played by Alice and Janney. Yeah, I don't know if I would have guessed. Even if I had gotten to the notion that, huh, that is like six degrees of you mm-hmm. know, Kevin Bacon. If I, would have, if I would have had the gumption to actually guess that. Yeah. I mean, usually when the Jeopardy writers do that kind of thing, it's a hint. But then other times they're just making a Sir Mix-a-Lot joke. So <laughs> like, maybe don't put That's too much fair. stock in it. Yeah. 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 The name as a past tense verb I thought was kind of a fun category. Uh, the intruder must have host Kimmel to open the door. Uh, it's jimmied. Ready for adventure. We actress Hawkins forth from the castle. That's sallied. I thought it was a fun category. Yeah. Daily Double number two is in the here's the play of the day category at the $1,600 level. And Ray finds it as the 10th pick. He has 11,400. He's right behind Sean who has 12,200. He wagers 4,000 trying to take the lead and gets the clue in 2010. Abigail Breslin and Allison Pill played Broadway roles originated by Patty Duke and Anne Bancroft in 1959 in this play. And he gets it correct. It's the miracle worker. Hmm. I would not have gotten there. Uh, Anne Bancroft sort of pinged miracle worker for me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that takes him into the lead. 
Uh, and daily double number three is in the another name for that condition category at the $1,600 level. Pick number 22, Allie finds this one. Uh, she's been lagging behind, uh, hasn't really been able to get in the buzzer, I think. But she's gotten a few recently, and she finds this daily double. She's at 8200 Sean is at fourteen thousand six hundred. Raise at nineteen thousand, and she wagers seven thousand, which is which is a good move here. Gets a clue: a form of pneumonia that can be spread by air conditioning. Got this name from a nineteen seventy six convention where it was first identified. She hones in on convention and guesses what is the Geneva Convention, <laughs> uh, but it is the Legionnaires' disease from the American Legion Convention in mm-hmm. Philadelphia. Which yes. The story of that is so scary. Uh-huh. It's just like people are, you know, at a convention and then they get like deathly sick uh-huh. and some people who walked by outside also get deathly sick. Ugh. And like it's a really cool like story of like epidemiology and how people like how they figured it out what mm-hmm. it was and where to find it, but also ugh. Yeah. Many people would not, I think, have had on their radar in like kind of late spring of 2020. There was this whole like, as as lockdown kind of continued, there was this like, oh my gosh, everyone, like if you're in charge of like a building, <laughs> like you should go over there and do some things mm-hmm. so that you don't get give legionnaires to everyone when you reopen. Yep. Whatever that is, <laughs> like I had to like send some panicked emails and be like, "Has anyone been running the water? Please, we should be please. running the water." <laughs> yeah, like I don't know where I w- where I would look to find out kind of whether there was in fact a spike in legionnaires mm. post lockdown. I would think not. I think most systems are kind of set up not to just have like a tank of water sitting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But maybe yeah. who knows? Yeah. yeah but yeah definitely like stuff went out like to denominations being like hey if you've got an old building like (laughs) (laughs) please don't kill the people you should give some thought to this at the end of the double jeopardy round ray has taken the lead and is at twenty two thousand six hundred. uh sean's at sixteen thousand six hundred. ali's at 4800 and the final jeopardy category is action movies and the clue is, its last line is, if this is their idea of Christmas, I got to be here for New Year's. While the contestants were writing their responses, my children asked a clarification question about whether action movies are the ones where they have like the human actors as opposed to, hmm. yeah, uh, I was like, no. It's live action. Yes. Uh, it's a fair question. Um but yeah, then I tr- went down a rabbit hole trying to define a- what an action movie is. Well, we know it can't be a certain height. I mean, if you have to use a fork, it doesn't count. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. Since Emily's so big into defining things. <laughs> uh, all right. So, um, yes, I am. And my my definition of Christmas movies does include this one. On that we can agree. Yes. Yes. Uh, So they all got it correct. What is Die Hard? Uh, Allie wagered zero, so she'll stay at 4,800. Sean wagers 10,000, bringing him up to 26,600. Is that too much? 
I think cup, so. He should have gone a little lower. Yeah, I think. six six thousand one. Yeah, something like that. Be, yeah, six to yeah. six to eight thousand. No, six to. Oh no! Wait, 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 Ray. If he gets it correct, he's gonna. If he goes all in and gets it correct, he'll go up to thirty three thousand two hundred. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So Ray needs to wager. 10,601 or so, right? Like that's a cover bet, yeah. Yeah. right? So yeah, if, if Ray makes a cover bet and misses, he's going to drop down to 12,000. So Sean should wager not more than 4,600. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he goes a little too big here, but he he does get it right. So, um, but Ray got it correct also with what is diehard. He makes actually not quite a cover bet. Yeah. Um, a little under a cover bet. He bets 10,000, but that's fine because Sean, uh, Sean did not go all in. So that gives Ray 32,600 and he is our champion. Yep. Yeah. And that brings us to Friday when we have the contestants Elizabeth Pontefract, a strategy consultant from Seattle, Washington, Neil Getling, a financial analyst from Chicago, Illinois, and Ray Lalonde, a scenic artist from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, whose one-day cash winnings total $32,600. And we have the Jeopardy round categories. Time for reading, Alaskan geography, music icons, mummies, tip, TIP in quotation marks, and the scales. Mm-hmm. There was a, uh, I think, pretty clever clue in the music icons at the $800 level. The clue was, on a historic day in 1976, Joe Strummer met Mick Jones in London, calling their legendary band This came later. And Ray got it, that's The Clash, which he may have just known from the names of the people, but also London Calling is one of their most well-known albums. Oh. Worked that in there. You said it was a clever clue, and I was searching for what was clever about it, and I didn't find it. Now that you say it, I get it. Oh, that's great. Or it was an accident, and it just happened to work out. But either Mm -hmm. way, either way, it was, I'm sure it was intentional. I don't think it was an accident, yeah. No. You didn't need to know a whole lot about mummies to respond to the questions in the mummies category nope you didn't (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's okay yeah but i don't know as a person who was a kid who had an ancient egypt phase that was kind of fun yeah i also separately had a the mummy phase (laughs) (laughs) yeah a lot of people did who didn't especially with uh brandon fraser coming back into the yeah public consciousness Uh uh-huh uh-huh I had no idea that Louisa May Alcott wrote a short story called Lost in a Pyramid. Tales about a mummy's curse. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense for her time. That was yeah. That was a, a fairly common, or not necessarily common topic, but it was in the public uh, mm-hmm. kind of perception of like, oh, we're finding these things in Egypt. Yeah, and like I think of her as more of a, you know, writing about more domestic matters, you know, like mm-hmm. Little Women. But like the protagonist of Little Women is like 
a young woman who like wants to be a writer and writes these like fantastical adventure stories. Right. Right. So, so it um, makes sense. (laughs) It makes sense that at one point she was herself writing fantastical adventure stories. Yeah. The contestants did not listen to my deep dive on the Fujita scale from the scales at 400 because the clue was an EF5 on the enhanced Fujita scale means one of these with winds over 200 miles per hour get to safety now. Ray guessed what's a hurricane. Neil guessed what is a typhoon? I mean, Mm. you you go for typhoon before you go for tornado. And then uh, Elizabeth clearly guessed what is tornado. And that's correct. And good for Mm -hmm. her. But, you know... I mean, listeners of the show of, of our show already know that you should listen to everything we've talked about because we are covering the entirety of human knowledge. Mm-hmm. And that way you don't run into a situation like this when you get on the show. Yes. And then again, a couple clues later, we had another Ray misses it. Neil misses it. Well, the, the next time it was Neil and then Ray and then Elizabeth gets it. That was at the $800 level of the scales. The moon is nearly invisible at L equals zero, the lowest level on the Donjon scale, measuring its brightness during this event. Neil tried what is a new moon. Ray tried what is a full moon. And then Elizabeth got it with an eclipse. Those clues where somebody gets it on the third one. Man, it's uh, so much movement there. Yes. Yeah. It feels it feels a bit chaotic. Mm-hmm. At least for Jeopardy. Yeah. Daily Double number one uh, comes out almost at the end of the round. It's at the 28th pick in Alaskan Geography at the $600 level, and Neil finds it. Uh, He has 2,000 and makes it a true Daily Double. Elizabeth's already out at 6,000, so even if he gets it correct, that'll only take him into second place. And he gets the clue named for a son of King George III. This sound with Valdez as a main port was the site of the Exxon Valdez oil spill. Uh, And they have a map there, which doesn't help him out much because he does not know, doesn't hazard a guess. Uh, The Prince William sound is what they were looking for here. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Elizabeth has the lead, uh, still with 6,000, raised at 4,800. Neil uh, has dropped to zero and not made it back up from there. And the double Jeopardy categories are Christmas and Hanukkah, ornaments of yore, that's a big animal, 10-letter verbs, invasions, and TV and movie places. And I'm I'm sorry, Emily. That nobody knew. <laughs> yeah. I'm wearing my Sunnydale High Class of 99 sweatshirt today. <laughs> Out of respect. I didn't. Yes. I mean, I, I, much as I'd like to say in honor of the $1,200 level of TV and movie places, it's just it's just one of my go-to sweatshirts. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. The, I assume that's what your I'm sorry was about. Yeah, it is. It yeah. Is. <laughs> yeah. Nobody knew where Buffy Summers went to high school. Elizabeth tried what is Somerville. Neil tried, his, tried what is Sunnyvale, uh, which is close. Very close. One close, letter off. Very close. One letter off. Uh, Sunnydale. Sunnydale is the correct response there. Mm-hmm. And the $2,000 clue for Star Wars fans really makes it clear what the name of... Well, okay. Anyway, the clue is the forest moon of this planet is the home of the Ewoks. Neil got it. That's Endor. Of course, that's Endor. But 
you know, the argument is, well, is the moon called Endor or is the planet called Endor? And pretty here they're pretty clearly saying that the planet is called Endor. Yeah. So, I mean, question answered, I guess. I wonder if people are getting up in arms about it. Oh, I don't know. I also did not know that that was a big debate. I missed that. Now I know. I'm sure yeah. it's been settled at some point. But in the movie, they just simply refer to it as the forest moon of Endor. Does that mean, is it a forest moon called Endor or is it a forest moon of a planet called Endor? It's not made clear in Return of the Jedi. But Mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. I have to diagram that sentence. (laughs) Right. The of is unclear. Is the of possessive or is the of like pointing to its name, you know? Right. Yes. Anyway. Ray ran the Christmas and Hanukkah category. Mm -hmm. Very nice. I saw a little bit of kerfuffle on like the Jeopardy Facebook page with people not liking that they accepted menorah. Instead of Hanukkah? Instead of Hanukkah, yes. I had the same thought, and I'm obviously not Jewish, so I don't know. Yeah. But I just remember learning that a menorah and a Hanukkah are not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I think if I understand correctly, a menorah is like the eight armed candelabra and a Hanukkah is one of those that you are using specifically for Hanukkah. But I could have missed a nuance there. I do think, although we have grumbled about, you know, kind of the level of detail of knowledge expected about Christianity versus the fairly surface level treatment of other faiths, I do sort of think that asking for Hanukkah rather than menorah at the $800 level sounds a little aggressive to me. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Daily double number two is in that's a big animal at the $2,000 level. Pick number 13, Ray finds it. Uh, he is up to 13,600 above Neil's 1200 and Elizabeth's 6,000. And he wagers 4,000 gets a clue 40 feet long and weighing 11 tons or more. This largest living fish has two animals in its name. He gets that correct with what is a whale shark. Mm-hmm. And daily double number three is in the 10 letter verbs category at the $1,600 level. And Neil finds this one at the 18th pick. Having dropped to zero in daily double one, he's only made it back up to 2,400 and raise at 17,600. Elizabeth's at 5,200. Uh, Neil makes it a true daily double again and gets the clue Latin for easy, gives us this verb meaning to assist in the progress of something. And he just can't get to it. It is facilitate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So bummer on the daily doubles for Neil in this game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But Partially thanks to that, and also just Ray playing really well. Going into Final Jeopardy, Ray has a lock at 23,600. Neil's at 400, so he's in the game for Final, which is good. And Elizabeth's at 8,800. The Final Jeopardy category is Countries of the World, and the clue is it's home to 58 UNESCO World Heritage Sites, more than any other country. The site, the sites include a volcano and a lagoon. Neil guessed what is Indonesia? But that is incorrect. Volcano certainly makes sense there. And Lagoon, mm-hmm. I guess that, I yeah. mean, both of those make sense. Mm-hmm. But that's incorrect. And he wagered 207. Elizabeth wrote, what is Turkey? That is also incorrect. And she wagered 8,700, which is too much. Mm-hmm. 
Like it's double lock. Just guarantee yourself. Yep. You know, guarantee yourself an extra thousand bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and Ray got it correct with what is Italy. Uh, and he wagered 4,400, not risking his luck. So he wins a second day. And that is the end of the week. So this is the point in the show where we remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potentpotables. You can go there to support us financially if you feel the inclination to do so. You can find some exclusive content there and you can, uh, you know, slide us a couple bucks a month to help us offset the cost of making the podcast. But if you'd rather you spend your money on something perhaps more important, then we encourage you to check out our show notes where we have a number of causes that we believe are worthwhile and doing good work. You can find them there. They address a number of issues in our country. I'm going to mention the Rebels Project Mm. Uh, because just about now is the 10 year anniversary of the Sandy Hook shooting. Yes. And the Rebels Project works with uh, communities who experience mass shootings. And mm-hmm. they continue to do good work. Unfortunately, that they need to. Yeah. So, so check that out. Okay, Emily. Okay. We are deep diving into what? Are we deep diving? into legionnaire's disease we are not it was very tempting but all i'm gonna say about that is there are plenty of other podcasts who have already talked about it you could <laughs> has, has sawbones covered it sawbones has covered it <laughs> okay uh, well sawbones is really I believe I've heard it on both Sawbones and Misinformation. I could be wrong uh, about that, but okay, yeah, cool. you, can, you can find plenty of probably better information about Legionnaires than I would give. All right. Um, Are we talking about the Northwest Passage? Of course we're talking about the Northwest Passage. Yay, because I hadn't figured out a third guess yet. <laughs> That's fine. You know, honestly, this week there were not a lot of compelling triple stumpers. Mm, fair enough. Just gonna just gonna say I had a hard time really like I mean not necessarily like narrowing it down because I just was like I saw the Northwest Passage and I was like, oh that'd be a good one. But yeah. So yes, we were talking about the Northwest Passage. Um Yay. I've already kind of mentioned it in at least one or I think two other deep dives. Mm-hmm. Uh and so it would be good to just kinda like clarify what it is and you know how it fits into history and such. Uh so the Northwest Passage is the sea route between the Atlantic and Pacific oceans through the Arctic ocean along the Northern coast of North America now understood to be, uh, through the Canadian Arctic archipelago. Uh, this is different from the Eastern route along the Arctic over Norway and Siberia called the Northeast passage. Mm. There is a dispute between Canada and everyone else as to whether the Northwest Passage counts as international waters or Canadian internal waters. And yeah, because everyone else is like, no, no, we all want to use this. So it should be international waters. And Canada's like, no, no, it's going through our land. So it's ours. Um, Mm -hmm. Unresolved. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, so the Northwest passage for a long time was not actually, uh, it was an abstract concept. It was what explorers and, and, you know, governments and, and trade organizations 
hoped existed. They believed that there was a waterway through North America, you know, more accessible than having to go all the way around the southern tip of South America. And um, it wasn't until the 1900s, actually, that a ship actually managed to pass through the Northwest Passage. Others had previously managed to make it across the ice, but up until, you know, up until the 19th century, really no one, no one had successfully done it. So there were early expeditions that we don't necessarily have a lot of, have like documentation of um, before the Little Ice Age. Vikings from Norway sailed as far north and west as Ellesmere Island and Skraling Island and Ruin Island and interacted with the Inuit and other you know people of the region. But between the 15th and 20th centuries, the colonial powers from Europe sent a lot of people to try to figure out how they could send their ships over to Asia. You know, they wanted to get to Japan. They wanted to get to China. They wanted to get to the Spice Islands without having to go all the way around South America or all the way around Africa. If there was a Northwest Passage, that would have made things a lot easier. In the 21st century, I'll get to the expeditions that um, you know were, were sent in a little bit. But uh, in the 21st century, major changes to the ice pack due to climate change have uh, stirred speculation that the passage may become clear enough to actually permit safe commercial shipping for hmm. at least part of the year. Hooray! We did it! <laughs> Yay! Congrats to us. Uh, there's, a, there's a joke in the quiz coming up that really pertains to that particular nugget. And so, yeah, it has, it has opened up at various times throughout the summers for the last uh, 15 or so years. Uh, some of the thick sections of ice still remain uh, hard to melt in the shorter term, and it's, it's still not particularly safe. You need like fortified ships if you're going to try and make it. Uh, so as far as like a, a, a viable use for commercial trade, it's not quite there yet, um, but they're considering it. The largest passenger ship to navigate the Northwest Passage was the cruise liner Crystal Serenity, uh, and that was on in 2016. It sailed from Vancouver to New York City. So you can go from the east, you can go from the west, or you could come out of Canada and I guess go from the center, uh, but that's you know, a little bit different. Many attempts were made to find a saltwater exit west from Hudson Bay, uh, but the straits in the far north were all blocked by ice uh, up until, you know, very recently. Um, so the International Hydrographic Organization defines the limits of the Northwest Passage uh, as follows. On the west, the eastern limit of the Beaufort Sea from Land's End through the southwest coast of Prince Patrick Island to Griffiths Point, thence a line to Cape Prince Alfred, the northwestern extreme of Banks Island, through its west coast to Cape Kellett, the southwestern point, and thence a line to Cape Bathurst on the mainland. <laughs> Which I'm sure that means an awful lot to you. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, you go you go west to pretty much north of Alaska. You know, about as far as far west as you can go over Alaska. Uh, to the northwest, the Arctic Ocean between Land's End, Prince Patrick Island, Cape Columbia, and Ellesmere Island. To the northeast, Ellesmere Island uh, between uh, Columbia and Sheridan and the northern limit of Baffin Bay. And then on the east, it's Ellesmere Island, Cape Sheridan, and Cape Norton Shaw. 
and on the south, the mainland coast of Hudson Strait. So basically, when you go north of uh, the like Canadian Maine, that can all sort of count as the Northwest Passage, depending on where the ice is. Mm. It's kind of kind of it, but um, there's a there's a general route that's that's more specific, um, given the land masses as well. Uh, so. There have been a number of historical expeditions ever since the Vikings sailed from Greenland, but the more, I guess, cataloged ones, the ones that have more record. In 1539, Hernán Cortés commissioned Francisco de Ulloa to sail along the Baja California Peninsula on the western coast of North America. And he concluded that the Gulf of California was the southernmost section of a strait that supposedly linked the Pacific with the Gulf of St. Lawrence. Uh, hmm. And that kind of, uh, that established an interesting idea that Europeans had for a while that it was called the Island of California. The notion of California just being an island out there because of Baja California being so long. They're like, oh, well, that whole thing, must it must just go up. It must just go up, hmm. which, you know, totally makes a lot of sense. So they began searching for what they called the Strait of Anian, and that probably took, took its name from Ania, a Chinese province mentioned in Marco Polo's book. And uh, yeah, so that was, they didn't actually find anything, obviously. Um, Sir Francis Drake sought the western entrance to the Northwest Passage in 1579, though of course didn't find it, um, because you'd have to go up around Alaska, and nobody did that. Uh, the Greek pilot Juan de Fuca, sailing from Acapulco under the Spanish crown, claimed he had sailed the strait from the Pacific to the North Sea and back in 1592. That is unlikely. And the, the Spaniard Bartolomeu de Fonte claimed to have sailed from Hudson Bay to the Pacific via the strait in 1640. Obviously, these are all, like, those claims are false because that strait does not exist. Right. <laughs> like, California is not an island, so we know mm -hmm. that that's not true. The first recorded attempt to discover the Northwest Passage, like the the, the real, uh, like recorded during the trip, was the voyage of John Cabot in 1497, sent by Henry the uh, Seventh. In 1524, Charles V sent Estadio Gomez to try and find a passage to the Spice Islands. In 1576, an English expedition was launched by John Frobisher. He took three trips into the Canadian Arctic to try and find it, uh, and Frobisher Bay is named after him. Uh, in 1583, Sir Humphrey Gilbert claimed the territory of Newfoundland for the English crown. And in 1585, the English explorer John Davis entered Cumberland Sound on Baffin Island. Uh, so, you know, English explorers are making their way through Canada, but they're not finding what they're looking for. A number of explorers also, you know, uh, explored all of the rivers and uh, waterways that they could find, which obviously there are a lot of. Jacques Cartier explored the St. Lawrence River in 1535. Samuel de Champlain uh, also, you know, explored a lot of the waterways later on. In 1602, George Weymouth became the first European to explore what would be called the Hudson Strait. Uh, he sailed his ship Discovery 300 nautical miles into the strait. Uh, and he was funded by the British East India Company and the Muscovy Company. And the Discovery was the sh same ship used by Henry Hudson on his final voyage. Hmm. John Knight 
was another one employed by the same company sent out in 1606 to follow up on Weymouth's discoveries and find the Northwest Passage. His ship ran aground and was nearly crushed by ice and he disappeared while searching for better anchorage. So rip John Knight. In 1609, Henry Hudson sailed up what is now called Hudson River in search of the passage. Um, He reached Albany, New York, or what is now Albany, New York, before giving up. Uh, And in September 1609, he entered the Tappan Zee while sailing from New York Harbor. Uh, He believed that the widening of the river indicated that he had found the Northwest Passage, but then he, after some more exploration, he decided, no, that's not what this is, and uh, and, uh, gave up. In 1611, while in James Bay, Hudson's crew mutinied, and they set Hudson and his son John, along with uh, seven sick, infirm, or royal crewmen, adrift in a small boat, and he was never seen again. Hmm. So I did not know that. I didn't know that about Hudson. Yeah. That's too bad. <laughs> Bummer for, for all of them. In 1612, the discovery sent out again, by uh, led by Sir Thomas Button, to find Henry Hudson and continue through the Northwest Passage. Uh, he did neither. Uh, they returned home due to illness in the crew. In 1614, William Gibbons attempted to find the passage, but was turned back by ice. In 1615, Robert Bylot, a survivor of Hudson's crew, returned to Hudson's Strait in discovery, but was again turned back by ice. You'd think at some point they'd be like, huh, maybe this just isn't here. Bylot tried again in 1616 with William Baffin. They sailed as far as Lancaster Sound and reached 77 degrees, 45 minutes north latitude, which uh, was a record that stood for 236 years. But they were also blocked by ice. Uh, In 1619, Jens Munk sent out by King Christian IV of Denmark-Norway, set out with 65 men and two of the king's ships, one of which was called Einhornigen, or Unicorn, and a small frigate called Lampernin, which is Lamprey. Uh, I just like those names. Yeah. He got to the Davis Strait and as far north as 69 degrees uh, north, found Frobisher Bay and spent uh, almost a month trying to get through the Hudson Strait. And cold famine and scurvy destroyed so many of his men that only he and two other men survived. With them, he sailed for home on Lamprey and reached uh, Bergen in September of 1620. I'm pulling myself back from being like, well, they should have listened to my vitamin C deep dive. (laughs) Amen. Bring oranges, dudes. Limes, my man. Mm -hmm. Let's see. On the the French ship Le Greffon, René Robert Cavalier. I'm not going to try and say it. Sir de la Salle. He built the sailing ship Le Griffon and tried to find the Northwest Passage via the upper Great Lakes. So he went through Erie and Huron, made port at Mackinac Island, but did not uh, succeed in finding the Northwest Passage. Uh, In spring of 1682, he made his famous voyage down the Mississippi River to the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, he led an expedition from France in 1684 to establish a French colony in the Gulf of Mexico. He was murdered by his followers in 1687. (laughs) Oops. Oops. Uh, Henry Ellis, an Irishman, was part of the company aiming to discover the Northwest Passage in May of 1746. Uh, And after putting out a fire on board the ship, he sailed to Greenland where he traded goods with the Inuits. And uh, he crossed the town crossed to the town of Fort Nelson and spent the summer on the Hayes River. And he continued his efforts in 1747 without success before returning to England. In 1772, fur trader Samuel Hearn 
attempted to travel overland from Hudson Bay to the Arctic Ocean, uh, which he did, proving that there was no strait connecting Hudson Bay to the Pacific Ocean. (laughs) That didn't stop people, though. After that, we get some of the more, I don't know, I don't want to say important, but perhaps like closer to successful, maybe just more recent expeditions. Mm. In 1776, Captain James Cook was dispatched by the British Admiralty to explore the passage. The 1745 Act, which was extended in 1775, promised a 20,000 pound prize for whoever discovered the passage. Originally, the Admiralty had wanted Charles Clerk to read the expedition, um, who was younger, uh, with Cook acting as a consultant. But due to Cook's research on Bering's expedition and everything, uh, they put him in charge. Uh, They began at Nootka Sound in April 1778, after they, you know, arrived on the West Coast. They charted the lands along the coastline, and... uh, The Admiralty's orders had commanded the expedition to ignore all inlets and rivers until they reached a latitude of 65 degrees north. However, Cook failed to make any sightings of a Northwest Passage. Uh, William Bly was on that expedition. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, And a lot of, and he, he, him and others believe that the existence of a route was improbable. Good for them. Uh, they sailed around Alaska for a while. They reached the Aleutian Islands and they encountered nothing but icebergs, even getting as far north as 70 degrees. Uh, from 1792 to 1794, the Vancouver expedition, led by George Vancouver, who had previously accompanied Cook, uh, surveyed in detail the passages of the northwest coast, but he confirmed that there was no such passage uh, south of the Bering Strait. And this conclusion was supported by Alexander Mackenzie, who explored the Arctic and Pacific in 1793. North of the Bering Strait, some parts of the Northwest Passage were explored in the 19th century by a number of expeditions, including John Ross, Elisha Kent Kane, William Edward Perry, and James Clark Ross. Overland expeditions were also led by John Franklin, George Back, Peter Warren Dees, uh, Thomas Simpson, and John Ray. Sir Robert McClure was credited with the discovery of the Northwest Passage in 1851 when he looked across McClure Strait from Banks Island and viewed Melville Island. However, the strait was not navigable to ships at the time, and the only usable route linking the entrances of Lancaster Sound and the Dolphin and Union Strait was discovered by John Ray in 1854. Uh, In 1855, a lavishly equipped two-ship expedition led by Sir John Franklin sailed to the Canadian Arctic to chart the last unknown swaths of the Northwest Passage. Confidence was high. They estimated that there was less than 500 kilometers remaining of unexplored Arctic mainland coast. When the ships failed to return, relief expeditions and search parties uh, were sent out, which resulted in a thorough charting of the region, along with a possible passage. Uh, Lots of artifacts from the expedition were found over the next century and a half, including notes that the ships were ice-locked in 1846, and records show that Franklin died in 1847, uh, and that even though there were survivors who tried to make their way back, no one knows if any survivors actually returned to civilization. Uh, In 1853, John Ray was told by local Inuit about the disastrous fate of Franklin's expedition. During the search for Franklin, Commander Robert McClure, who I mentioned before, and his crew and HMS investigator traversed the Northwest Northwest Passage from west to east in the years 1850 to 1854, partly by ship and partly by sledge. He started out from England in December 1849, sailed the Atlantic Ocean to Cape Horn, uh, and entered the Pacific. Then he sailed the Pacific North, passed through the Bering Strait, and turned east, reached Banks Island, 
and he, uh, like I said, traversed from west to east. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's McClure. John Ray was an employee of Hudson's Bay Company. Uh, and like I said, he is in 1854. Ray's expedition uh, is considered the one with the best safety record and also possibly the one that actually is credited with with finding the passage. And then we get to Roald Amundsen. The first explorer to conquer the Northwest Passage solely by ship was Roald Amundsen. In a three-year journey between 1903 and 1906, Amundsen explored the passage with a crew of six. He sailed to escape creditors seeking to stop the expedition. He completed the, the voyage in the converted in a converted uh, 45 net register tonnage herring boat called Gyoa. Uh, it was a smaller vessel than used by other Arctic expeditions, had a shallow draft, and it was intended to help traverse the shoals of the Arctic Strait. So Amundsen set out from Oslo in June 1903 and was west of the Boothia Peninsula by late September. Gyoa was put into a natural harbor on the south shore of King William Island. Uh, by October 3rd, she was iced in, and they stayed there for nearly two years. They learned from local Inuit how to hunt and how to survive, and they took measurements to determine the location of the uh, magnetic North Pole. That harbor, known as Gyoa Haven, later developed as the only permanent settlement on the island. Uh, and after they were able to move on, uh, they completed their Northwest Passage trip and uh, <laughs> anchored near Herschel Island. And then Amundsen skied 800 kilometers to the city of Eagle, Alaska, which sounds absolutely terrible, where he sent a telegram announcing his success. And then he skied back and rejoined his companions. Goodness gracious. Yeah. So that was the first, uh, that was the first one by ship was Amundsen. And the first one to kind of be truly recognized was John Ray. Uh, there were later expeditions uh, done by dog sled, accomplished by Greenlander Knud Rasmussen, and the uh, the Mountie officer Henry Larson, Royal Canadian Mounted Police officer, was the second to sail the passage uh, from west to east. And uh, continuing through the 20th century, more ships continued. The uh, HMS HMCS Labrador completed east to west transit in fi- eight, 1954. Uh, the U.S. Coast Guard did it in 1957, and so on and so forth. There are a lot more as as ships got better and pe- you know the technology got better. Uh, we've had a number of traversals of the Northwest Passage. I mentioned the international waters dispute. Like I said, the Canadian government classifies it as the part of the Canadian Arctic Archipelago and thus internal waters of Canada, um, but. The United States, in particular, would like that to not be the case because they want to. We want to use it, mm. um, and there's been some some conflict between the U.S. Coast Guard and uh, you know United States administration and the Canadian government about that. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to leave it at that. Nice. Um, yeah, that's the Northwest Passage. Lots yeah. of expeditions. Amundsen is uh, also you know associated with this. We've talked about him a little bit before, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, this was go. very, very informative. So I appreciate it. Good. Are you ready for a quiz? Uh, of course I'm ready for a quiz. All right. Uh, here we go. Question one. Northwest Passage is the title of a pilot episode that premiered on ABC on April 8th, 1990. 
The series itself was originally called Northwest Passage, but changed to a different geographic name. The permanent title could represent the fact that this pilot episode had two different endings, one for American television, which was guaranteed to continue through multiple episodes, and one for European networks in case they chose to air it as a television movie rather than picking up the series. The longer ending reveals the perpetrator of the murder that began the drama. What series is this? You know, I was feeling really worried for a little bit, but I I think it's Twin Peaks. It is Twin Peaks. Very nice. Yeah. Apparently it has two different endings. And the longer ending just kind of like, it it tacks on 20 minutes where it's like, oh, and also this is the person who murdered her. Huh. I'm sure more artistic than that, but yeah. Nice. Twin Peaks, yes. Question two. All right, you're at 20 points. Mm -hmm. You've gotten every question right so far. The Northwest Passage was the goal of numerous expeditions, as I stated. One was led by Sir Francis Drake in 1579. He was unsuccessful in finding the Western Entrance. However, nine years later, he found a great deal of success during what historical event? I can't remember what Drake did. How many years later? Nine years later. Nine years later. I know I should know, but... Uh, I don't know. I'm going to take a pass. Ooh, that's the Spanish Armada. Oh, no. Of course it's the Spanish Armada. I did a deep dive on it. Yeah, no, I, I remember <laughs> you did a deep, deep dive on it. I was stuck in expedition. Mm-hmm. Explorer brain yeah. was like, where? Like, what did he find? Mm. Or circumnavigate or, you yeah. know, like whatever. Yeah, that's that's fair. Spanish Armada. I should have gotten it. All right. Well, that's okay. Uh, all right. Question three. Another expedition was led by James Cook. When you cook something with high heat, a chemical reaction between amino acids and reducing sugars results in browning and the characteristic flavor of seared meat, fried dumplings, cookies, and other foods. What is the name of that reaction? The last name of Louis Camille, who wrote about it in a 1912 paper. Um, Maillard. Very nice. Yeah, I think, is it is it Maillard or Maillard? Like, uh, would, would the double L be a ya in French? Well... All of the rules of French pronunciation have left my brain. I, I feel like I've always heard it said up. Maillard. That's fine. I would trust you. But yes, very nice. I was worried because I didn't. I don't really have a clue in there. It's like either you know that one or you don't. You know. Yeah. Nice. Yes. I mean, like, how would you even write? Like, how would I know you what kind of what kind of clue would I give it? It sounds kind of like a type of duck. Yeah. Only not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, unless you know Maillard. Right, like right. you can take add or change or remove a letter in some kind of duck, right? Like, like yeah. there's just so many directions. That, like, even if you were like, it's one letter away from mallard, right? Like, right. Even yeah. that's still like, oh, uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Very nice. All right, you are at thirty points. Going into question four. The next expedition to mention is Franklin. In the Kingdom of England, from the 12th to the 15th century, a Franklin was a freeman who may or may not have owned land. This put them between, for five points each, which two other classes? And I will tell you that nobility is a fourth class higher than all of those. Oh, no. 
serfs? Is serfs one of them? Yeah, serfs is one of them. Serfs okay. are pe- peasantry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you would have taken peasants, which I said as a joke. Okay. Possibly. I mean, maybe. I mean they're not they're not the same, but I I was willing yeah. to depend on that. But yes. Yeah. Okay, that's the lower one. Trap. What are the other ones called? My brain is broken. It only contains Christmas carols. <laughs> 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 there is a Christmas carol that could get you there. Kind of roundabout. Are, are they gentlemen? <laughs> Wait. There is a Christmas carol that could get me there. Huh. You know what? I don't know if I'm going to come up with something better than gentlemen. So there we go. We'll go with that. Now, I don't know if to take that or not. Because I'm looking for the gentry. Which oh, is where gentlemen which is where gentlemen comes from. Gentry. Ah. That's ambiguous, isn't it? You don't have to take it, it's fine. I don't know. I mean it's not wrong. I'm gonna take it. I'll take it. Why not? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I'll take it. I'll take it. It's, I will it's take you're taking it. Close enough. Close enough. Yeah. Like the landed gentry. Yeah. Who were, who were not nobility, but they were like, you mm-hmm. know, designated landowners. Cool. All right, you got it. You got Yay. it. All right. 40 points going into question five. The last expedition I'll use is McClure. You may remember Troy McClure from such nature films as Earwig's Ew and Man vs. Nature, <laughs> The Road to Victory. And from his starring role in Stop the Planet of the Apes, I Want to Get Off, a stage musical version of the film Planet of the Apes. <laughs> Troy McClure was voiced by Phil Hartman from 1991 to 1998 on what sitcom? Um, pretty sure that was The Simpsons. That definitely was The Simpsons. And uh, I learned today that Phil Hartman was like murdered. In what? His sleep. So yeah, his his like third wife, I guess, like shot him in his sleep in 1998. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and after that, like he had already recorded a line, like a, like a, an episode for. Mm-hmm like the upcoming season. But after that, Troy McClure was essentially retired as a character, which shocked me. I was like, has Troy McClure really not been a character in an episode since 1998? And that is correct. Yes. (laughs) He has not. Anyway. So talking about the Northwest passage really is a uh, man versus nature of the road to victory kind of thing. We did it. We melted enough ice to get through. (laughs) All right, you are at 50 points going into the final, and the category is podcasts. Ooh. Okay. Well, I guess I should wager everything. I'll wager everything. Okay. For 100 points if you get it correct. International Waters, now called Trouble Waters, is a podcast hosted by Dave Holmes. It features comedians from the U.S. and the U.K. on opposing teams answering pop culture questions for points. It is currently part of What Podcast Network, which also includes My Brother, My Brother, and Me, Can I Pet Your Dog, and Mission to Zix. The network name could describe the founder's desire to get the most enjoyment out of their work. Oh, no. Too many points. <laughs> Flew too close to the sun. <laughs> Again. 
What podcasts did you mention as being on this network? My Brother, My Brother and Me, Can I Pet Your Dog, and Mission to Six. I could name others. Mm. Like Judge John Hodgman or The Adventure Zone. Yeah. I've listened to numerous episodes of some of these. I'll recognize it once you say it, but I don't I don't know if I'm gonna get it. Wait. Something fun. Like the vague shadow of an auditory memory. Come on. <laughs> you can't even tell me if I'm heading in the right direction, but I'm gonna I'm just gonna keep going. Tell me what was that what was the phrasing at the end of your at the end of your question again? The network name could describe the founder's desire to get the most enjoyment out of their work. Okay. The most enjoyment out of their work. Something fun is coming to me, and I feel like it, I'm heading for two-syllable... Two I feel like max or maximum. Max fun. It's the part that I don't pay attention to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Damn it! Um... If I get from literally no idea to went the wrong way on a coin flip, I guess that'll still be something to be proud of. I'm going to go with max fun. Either one would be acceptable. Maximum what? fun or max fun. They, re- they refer to it as max fun. Yes. Nice job. <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh you did it. You worked your I way around. did it. It's amazing. You were like, oh, man, I don't remember this. So I was like, well, all right, now take some time. And then you're like, something fun. I was like, oh. <laughs> and I like, mean, hmm. how many times have I stopped paying attention while the little, you know. The thing at the end. Yeah. yeah. Just like people do when we tell them about our Patreon. <laughs> right. Or when we get done with the, the quiz. Mm-hmm. Yep. Speaking of which, hey, <laughs> we're done with you the quiz. You did it. A hundred points. You're so, you did Yay, it. I did it. And maybe our listeners will stick around for the outro just in case it's ever, it won't be a trivia topic. I mean, it, it might be on our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, but thanks, listeners, for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you would. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who are into Jeopardy, let them know about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com. And our website is potentpod.com. And we'll be off for the next couple of weeks. Uh, we are, sorry, not recording on Christmas or New or Year's. Or New we'll, Year's. Yeah, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be back after, uh, after the holidays. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Mm-hmm.